Hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, as we read together, verses 9 to 22. We read the account of Noah and his faith. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof, an opening of one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The question I want to pose to you today out of this account of Noah in Genesis 6 is, do you have faith. Do you have faith? And before you answer too quickly, let's remember that faith, the kind of faith we see in Noah, is not mere religious belief. Religious belief has become so rare, in our nation anyway, that anyone who has any kind of religious beliefs tends to stand out. And so we talk about people of faith. 
which can mean any number of religions as long as they have some kind of religious belief, some kind of belief in a higher power or in some punishment or reward in the afterlife. That's not the kind of faith we see here. We're going to look at Noah's faith. And I hope that you will measure your life against Noah's life to see whether or not this kind of faith is present in your life. Test yourself against this story. This is vitally important. It is the most vital question facing us right now. Because as we read in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Even when we come to church, even when we have our Bibles open, we're praying along, we're singing along, if there's no faith present, it's not pleasing to God. It's not pleasing to God. Mere religious belief is not what we're talking about. On the other hand, if you have this kind of faith, the kind of faith we see in Noah, and even the size of a mustard seed, that is pleasing to your heavenly Father. That is pleasing. So is it present or not? What we see in Noah is just how crazy this faith can look in the eyes of the world. No doubt many thought he was crazy to base his life, to base his future on what God told him here. And while God isn't telling you to build an ark, we do need to be prepared for the world to call us crazy if we demonstrate this kind of obedience and this kind of faith to the God Noah obeyed. Are you ready to be called crazy? Or do you recoil at that? No, 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 no. I'm not crazy, they're crazy. <laughs> we don't ever want to be the crazy ones, right? Well, as we look at this, let's see what real faith is and what real craziness looks like. We're going to see both. But my goal is to show you that living by faith may look crazy in the eyes of the world. It may look crazy in the eyes of the world, but not to those whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. If you, your eyes are fixed on him, if your life is aimed at pleasing him, come what may, no matter what he says or she says, well then you have real faith. You have saving faith. You have the faith of Noah. And you will enjoy living as an heir of the righteousness that comes through faith and through faith alone. So let's look at Noah's faith. The first thing to notice is that Noah's faith is a living faith. A living faith. Which means that he has faith 
long before the floodwaters ever arrive, long before it ever starts to rain. He lives by faith. And while his faith is tested by the flood, to be sure, the faith doesn't arise in the midst of the flood. He's not rewarded because of his behavior during the flood or before the flood. He is favored by God long before this. And this is a very important point to notice. Very important and easily overlooked. If you back up to verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God marked him out. And Noah can't take any credit for God's favor. He can't say it's because I said this or I did that. No, God looked upon him with favor for his own sovereign and free reasons. And because God looked upon him with favor, because God gave him grace, Noah was looking forward to the one who was to come, the Lord Jesus. Even though he didn't know his name, just like Enoch, his ancestor before him, he walked with God looking forward to the one who was to come, trusting in God, trusting that he has no merit before a holy God. He doesn't deserve God's grace or God's favor. And yet somehow, God has been pleased to favor him. Noah's faith is a living faith. And this may seem crazy in the eyes of the world. It may even seem crazy to us when we really think about it. We tend to think of faith as something you exercise in those churchy moments or those religious moments. You come to church and you exercise faith right, right now. Or you're exercising faith when you're reading the Bible or you're in prayer or you're serving on mission. Then you're, you're exercising faith. But what we miss when we limit faith to those occasions is that we need faith all the time. And everywhere, and in everything, you need faith just as much when you come to church as when you're by yourself, you're alone, with nothing but your conscience before God. And this springs out of the understanding that this is a God who is everywhere, who sees everything, and who cares about everything. God doesn't just care about what you do on Sunday. God cares about what you do throughout the week. Are you living by faith? Are you living by faith at work? Are you living by faith in your family life? Are you living by faith when you're the only one who holds that faith. We need faith everywhere, all the time. We don't just have faith, we live by faith. And if you live by faith, then the character we see in Noah will be present and evident in your life. We read in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. 
and he walked faithfully with God. Three different descriptors, each significantly bearing on Noah's character. A righteous man. This is the first time the word righteous shows up in the Bible. And this is to say that Noah lives in a way that pleases God. He lives a righteous life. He does the things that God wants to be done. He says the things that God wants to be said. But not only that, he's blameless, which points to the fact that he avoids the things that God wants his people to avoid. He doesn't say the things that God doesn't want his people to say. And these are both vitally important. And they point to a true definition of sin. Sin is not just oops. It's not just I messed up. No, sin is both a transgression of God's moral law, breaking God's law, going beyond God's law, and it is a failure to conform to God's law. It's not just the things that you've done or said, it's the things you haven't done and haven't said that make you guilty before a holy God. Do you realize this? In in Noah, we see a righteous man, a blameless man, and these are joined together, as we're told, he walks faithfully with God, just like his ancestor Enoch. This isn't just Sunday faith. This is every day of the week faith. All the time. Now, is he perfect? He doesn't sin? I thought we all, all sin. It doesn't mean that. Noah was a sinner and just as needy of God's grace as you are. But the total pattern of his life was marked by righteousness and blamelessness. Not this sin or that sin, but the total arc of his life. Is that the arc of your life? The people who know you say, that is a righteous, blameless woman who walks with God. Or would they not really know? It was clear with Noah, clear that he stood out among the people of his time. Holy living. Is your life marked by holy living and a living faith? Well, one key difference between Noah and his ancestor Enoch is that with Enoch, God rescued him out. Enoch didn't die a natural death. God pulled him out so that he did not have to face the judgment of God's flood. But Noah has to endure it. But he's prepared for it because he has faith before the first raindrop ever falls. He has living faith. So also now, living faith and only living faith will prepare you for the trials of this life. And there will be trials in this life. Maybe you're going through one right now. And it is only a living faith. Daily walking with God. Daily talking to God. Daily communing with God. 
that will sustain you through that trial. Nothing else can, nothing else will. And what motivated, what was the driving force behind Noah's obedience here? Noah's faith is a fearful faith. A fearful faith. This is what drives him to obey God's commands. And Hebrews helps us see this. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, a reverent fear, built an ark to save his family. In holy fear. Notice that in the rest of the world, there's no fear. This is a world that is corrupted. See the repetition of the word corrupt. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. They're morally degenerate. They have fallen short of God's plan, God's designs, God's moral law. There's no fear of God. What we read in Psalm 14.1 is true of them. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. It's not that these people set out to corrupt God's law or corrupt God's designs. It's just that they don't think it really matters. And this is what's wrong with the world. They think it really doesn't matter. They're, if there is a God, he doesn't really care. We can basically live however we want to live. And if there is a God, uh, who cares? But there's probably not anyway, so we can just eat, drink, and be merry and live however we please. They don't set out to corrupt God's purposes, but they do by their complacency, by their rejection of God. So also now. There's no fear. No fear. And one reason there's no fear is because we're living in educated modern times and someone will say, Dane, look, before you go any further with this, I need to catch up to speed because there's this thing called comparative religion and we now know that there are these other ancient Near Eastern stories that also tell about a flood, and so really all this is mythological, and you can't really take any of this as historical, and so it's just a myth, it's just something that was intended to scare people back then maybe, and enforce good moral behavior, but by and large, this, this couldn't have happened, it's impossible. You heard that? After all, if you listen to what most historians say, or what, quote, most scientists say, this never happened. It's impossible. I have read that. I've considered that. But here's why I will stand on this as history. Because my heart belongs to Jesus. And Jesus says it happened. Luke 17, for example. 
Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus says it happened. Anyone want to call Jesus a liar today? I hope not. I hope not. But maybe you say Jesus was just ignorant about his times. We can't, we can't prove this. Indeed, we cannot prove this. But neither can you disprove it. And this is what is so often missed. There are very few things in life that you can prove. And I mean really prove. Everyone, religious, non-religious, everyone has to make assumptions based on the evidence we have. You have to believe someone or something. You can't live life without this. I choose to cast my lot with Jesus and stake my life on God's word. No matter how crazy it may seem to other people. This can't happen. Come on. It's impossible. Well, that's what they probably said back then, isn't it? Noah, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not even building this near a river. That crazy, senile old man, Noah. He just keeps hammering away, hammering away. He's crazy. And some of you have probably seen the movie Bruce Almighty. Maybe that's in your mind already. It's a comedy. Steve Carell, Morgan Freeman reprises his role as God and does a great job of it. But as much as that movie captures some of the humor of this and some of the, the craziness of what Noah is doing, it's a comedy. And the story of Noah is not a comedy. It is history. Real history. History that we must come to grips with. Because the rest of the world will do what they were doing then. They will eat. They will drink. They will make merry. They will marry and be given in marriage. They will enjoy life. Life is so short after all. Noah, you're being a killjoy. You're being an alarmist. We can't believe that anymore. Until the day Noah entered the ark and the floods came and the rains fell. Noah obeyed because he had a fearful faith. Now, some people will say, wait, are we supposed to be scared, afraid here? I thought perfect love drives out fear. Well, that's true. But we need to distinguish two different kinds of fear. There is a fear that paralyzes, that leads us to believe, oh, we can't please God anyway. It's, it's all useless. It's hopeless. What are we supposed to do? And we panic and dread. We try to cower and hide from God. But the fear we see in Noah, this holy, reverent fear, is a fear that propels. God, what do you want me to do? There's a flood coming. There's a judgment coming. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. However hard, no matter how long it takes, 
And you know you have this kind of holy fear, this reverent fear, when you realize God doesn't make idle threats. None of his words will fall to the ground ultimately, no matter how long it takes. Do you believe that? Do you fear when God says this is going to happen? I respect that. I reverence that. I'm not going to trifle with eternal realities. I'm not going to trifle or play around with God's word. This is serious, deadly business. Eternal business. But probably if we see this and we think, you know, Noah is living in a time when there's no Lowe's, there's no Home Depot, there are no power tools. This may have taken him as long as 100 years before the flood came. We're not told specifically. But think about how crazy this sounds, how crazy of an undertaking this is. And yet he does it. And he doesn't say anything. He just obeys. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He doesn't say, now, you know, God, when you say two of every kind of animal, how far are we going to take that? Can I ask some questions about that? Can you clarify this for me? Help me understand this. Do you really mean two of every kind? Can you be more, a little more specific? God, does it have to be this kind of wood? God, are you sure about those dimensions? Just one door? Really? I think it would look better with at least two doors, maybe three doors. No. If you have a fearful faith like Noah, you take God at his word. Every single word. Every jot and tittle. Every syllable counts. Because it's his word. And you reverence him and you fear him. And you want to obey him carefully down to the details. But we think, God doesn't really care about specifics like that, right? I mean, I went to church on Sunday. Surely I can do what I want on Friday. Isn't that good enough? Does God really care about those kind of details? Does God care about the details of how his word is interpreted and preached? Does he care that we earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints? I don't really like that hell part or the, the sin part or the judgment part. That's a little harsh and I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. That's not very palatable the spirit of the age. Surely we don't have to talk about that part, right? No! Down to the cubit. Every word matters. God's instructions are given for your good and for his glory. And the test of your faith is, will you take him at his word, all of his word, or do you want to pick and choose around what seems convenient to you, what fits your liking? If you have fearful faith like Noah, you will do everything just as the Lord commanded. But think of the timing. We're told by the Apostle Peter that he's a preacher of righteousness. And he's probably preaching both by his words and by his actions. He keeps building. People say, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is crazy. Come on. Come to the wedding feast, Noah. And he's saying, no, i got to work on the ark. Come eat and drink and be merry with us. No, i got to work in the ark. There's a flood coming. There's a judgment coming on the corruption of this generation. 
kept preaching. And I'm reminded of a famous Baptist missionary, William Carey. William Carey. In the late, late 18th century, early 19th century, went to India. Established a mission from scratch. From scratch. Because he had a heart for the nations. And he knew that God wanted his word to be proclaimed to them. And so he went about learning the language, translating the language into the Bible, printing Bibles in the Bengali language. All the while, his wife lost her mind and eventually died. But hear this. He preached and labored for seven years before he had one convert. Seven years, one convert. But remember this. There is a thriving Baptist Christian community in India to this day because he was faithful. So let this be a rebuke to anyone who would import the world's metrics and measurements to evaluate our effectiveness and our faithfulness. Let that be a rebuke. We're going to be faithful. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to labor. Even if at the end, like Noah, there are no converts. It's still just Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's it. Keep at it. Leave the consequences to God. Trust him. And by continuing to preach, we see that Noah's faith is a condemning faith. A condemning faith. As we read in Hebrews 11.7. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now we don't really like anyone who's condemning. What does this mean? Does this mean he walked around holier than thou? With, with judgmental attitudes for his neighbors? No. No, he walks humbly with his God and he tells the truth. He's not seeking to argue with people, squabble with people. He's telling the truth. And his faithfulness, his faithfulness before God exposes the world's faithlessness. It reveals what's wrong by doing what is right. And think about how costly this is. He pours everything he has, all of his resources into this. Think of how costly this is for his social standing. And you need to know something about yourself. There's something deep within the human heart that wants to be, no, longs to be part of the coming thing and recoils and resists any idea of being part of the going thing. We want to be a part of what is most popular, what is big, what is sexy, what gets the world's attention? And you could see this kind of thinking running rampant throughout the church today where we think that we need to try to make the church as much like the world as we can so we'll reach more people. No. Let us be different. Let us be different. Come out from their midst and be holy. You don't hear that very often today in the church. And so is it any wonder that the church is in the condition that she is today as a whole? 
What are you known for? What is the church known for? Are we condemning the world by our holy living? I'm afraid that's not the case. I'm afraid we're known more by our hypocrisy and our scandals and our failure to live up to what we preach. Let this also be a rebuke to the church today. May we be known as Noah was known for living faith, a fearful faith, a condemning faith, a faith that is distinct. People say, that is real. I may not agree with you. I may vehemently reject that, but you really believe it. I'll give you that. You really believe it. But right now, the world thinks we don't even really believe it because we don't live it. A condemning faith. And then in Noah, we see a saving faith. A saving faith. A faith that is dead to the world. Make no mistake, those who live for the world, those who want to be seen as great and popular in the world, will die with the world. They will go the way of all flesh. They will endure God's judgment, and it is coming. No matter how long it takes, it could take another thousand years, it could happen tomorrow. We don't know. But what we do know, it is, it's coming. One day, the floods will rise. One day, that boat will float. And Noah is safe in the ark. We don't get into an ark today to be safe because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, has already prepared the ark for you and for me. Because he lived the life you have not lived and he died in your place. He shed his blood for all of your corruption and my corruption and our failures to live up to God's law. He bled. He said, take me. He died as an atoning sacrifice as our substitute because this God is a holy God and he cannot say, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. He can't say, I, I know you didn't mean to. It's okay. He can't just wink it away. God must punish sin. And his punishment will either fall on you or you will receive what Jesus has done for you when he let the punishment fall on him. So that by his wounds, you are healed. Is that you? The ark is ready. And as with Noah's ark, there's only one door. There's only one door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So my word to you is, get in the ark. Get in the ark while there's still time. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying to tell you the truth. That if you look at your life and you test your life against Noah and you say, I don't think my faith is a living faith. I don't think it's a fearful faith. I don't think it's condemning of the world. There's nothing that stands out about me. Then it's not a saving faith. But hope is not lost. Look to Jesus. Look to him. There's time. 
Look to the crucified one. Say, Jesus, I need what you did for me. I can't save myself. I can't swim when those waters rise. Save me. And he will. He will. Whoever comes to him, he will never drive away. Have you come to him? Have you received this? Don't delay. Don't wait. Receive it now by faith. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. And you, like Noah, will become an heir, an adopted son or daughter of the righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are so careless. We are all procrastinators when it comes to the things of your word, your truth. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would wake us up. Propel us, Lord, by your spirit to flee the wrath to come. Help us to not mock it, to not scoff at it, to not doubt it, but to believe it and to live like we believe it. All for your glory. All for the glory of your son, Jesus. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.